Hello, listeners. Yamina here. Welcome to this episode of the Dr. GPCR podcast. We are kicking off the series with a career-focused podcast. In this episode, I sit down to chat with Lauren Solano. She is a speaker, connector, recruiter, and coach. Lauren has a science background and is passionate about helping talented scientists find their dream position. The sky is the limit of what you can do with a PhD. Before jumping into this episode, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the upcoming GPCR Summit. The summit will be held between September 14th and 18th this month. This summit is unlike any other meeting you've attended before, and we are very, very much excited about it. Think of it as a Netflix type of GPCR Summit. The goal is to allow everyone in the GPCR community to get access to all the talks through the entire length of the event, independently of their time zone. This means that presenters will have two options, providing a pre-recorded talk or giving a live presentation in their time zone. For more details and to check out the fantastic program that we have, please visit drgpcr.com slash summit 2020. And you'll find the schedule on the left side of the, of the menu. If you have any questions, please join our Dr. GPCR club on LinkedIn. And now let's dive in into our episode with Lauren. So hello, everybody. Uh, I'm very happy today to introduce you to Lauren Solano. She is the CEO and co-founder of Propel Careers. Uh, Lauren is a speaker, connector, recruiter, and coach. Uh, I know it's not this, uh, it's not the usual Dr. GPCR podcast, but I wanted to take the time to talk to Lauren because she is just fantastic. Hi, Lauren. Welcome. Hi, Hi Amina. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be able to be here today and to be able to share some insights, which I hope will help some people as they navigate their careers. I'm glad to have you. Uh, I thought it would be a good opportunity, especially with what's going on in the world, to talk about careers and career planning and how you're helping uh, PhD scientists and very technical people uh, find their way in, in the job market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about uh, Propel Careers? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I'm a scientist by background, but I've made the transition into more of the, uh, the business and entrepreneurial side. Uh, right now, so I, I uh, co-founded a company called Propel, and, and like you mentioned, I do a lot of work with scientists to help them think about their future, to help them connect with opportunities, ranging from research roles to non-research roles uh, within a wide variety of life sciences companies. And so it's nice for me to be able to be a connector, to be able to be a confidence builder, and ultimately to help get people on the right path. Awesome. Awesome. And what led you to this career? Because you mentioned you're a scientist by, by training. What was that moment that you said, well, I need to, I need to be doing something parallel, but still remain connected to science? Yeah, for sure. Well, so the story starts back in, let's say 2007. I uh, decided to, to pursue a graduate degree, more of an MBA to learn about business, because I thought that would complement science. And that is what started some of the exploration around what I wanted to do next with my career. But, uh, but with Propel, a series of informational interviews eventually led me to meet my co-founder in February of 2009. Um, as part of this discovery process for what I wanted to do, I made a list of key things that were important to me. I, I call them anchors. And, and when I talk with a lot of people about their own career path and career planning, I like to try to instill this as a practice that people could could do. And so for me, when I was thinking about my next steps, 
I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to contribute to the development of novel life sciences technologies. I love networking. I love meeting people. COVID right now is a bit challenging for me because I can't be out and about with everyone. Uh, and I want to make a difference. And so when I ended up meeting my co-founder fortuitously, it wasn't initially about starting a company to do recruiting and coaching, but it hit what I wanted. It seemed like a nice match in terms of being able to make an impact. So I thought, let's try. And now, you know, here we are almost 10 years later and we're still alive. So that's pretty exciting from that standpoint. That's fantastic. And were you always in the Boston area? No, I mean, I'm from Philadelphia originally. Um, I grew up there and ended up moving to Boston in 2003. So I feel now entrenched in this world. I still have my 215 cell phone number. So that throws people off sometimes when I call them, 215 being the Philadelphia area code. But it's been, it's been great. I moved here first for biotech, and then it's just been such a vibrant ecosystem that I've stayed. That's fantastic. And, and it is a beautiful ecosystem. I've moved here about a year ago, and I'm still fascinated by how many opportunities there are out there for, mm -hmm. for highly skilled people in every arena, whether it's, as you mentioned, R&D, or also non-lab-based non, uh, you know, roles. Mm -hmm. um, how do you spend your days? Because a lot of people uh, have, have a hard time imagining, what do you do exactly? Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Well, so, okay, I, I definitely do a mixture of things, which I like. And so, you know, I spend part of my day engaging talent that are looking for new roles, trying to talk with them, whether it's phone or via Zoom, understand a bit more about what drives them, what do they want to do in their next role to then be able to keep people posted if we know of opportunities that could be a fit. Uh, I definitely spend part of my days giving webinars uh, to like PhD uh, programs or to postdoctoral institutions, helping specifically their postdocs or PhDs or other people that may be involved. Uh, learn about careers or think about how to build resumes or how to negotiate salary or topics like that. And so I enjoy that. I think last year I gave about 100 talks different places. So it's uh, that feels good to be able to do that. I definitely engage with companies to be able to hear more about what are their needs? How are they building their pipeline? So, I mean, every day is definitely pretty multifaceted, pretty diverse, but intellectually it's stimulating because I get to, I guess, think about so many different things in a given, you know, 24 hour period. Yeah, yes, and you do also have the scientific background to understand not only the importance, but how cutting edge this, this science is, whether it's for, for trainees or for companies. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, it's interesting because the first 10 years of my life in life sciences was spent being involved in more preclinical and early clinical like drug discovery and development a lot of people don't realize that and so i do it's like i do know a little bit about how to get drugs developed how to make sure they're safe and so it is it's quite nice actually to find a career where it's now a whole different like part of work but i still utilize my background prior to be able to help people like think about where they fit awesome awesome and you had mentioned so i i, I wanted to ask you what inspires you every day to get up and do what you do and you had mentioned when we started this conversation that initially you scheduled a lot of um inter informational interviews and you did some introspection can you talk to us about that period um just because i know that you know when when you come out of a very technical lab setting for example from for from which our audience uh is most of the time it's hard to think beyond beyond that and getting a map on how to do that introspection can be very useful 
Yeah, no, for sure. Well, so, okay. From when I first did it to now, I've definitely learned some more tips and techniques. Uh, so so I, I think the first thing is everyone should do this. And I, I started doing this too, is thinking about what do you actually like? Like, and especially, it sounds like a silly thing to mention. Uh, and I know for a lot of PhDs in particular, you're not necessarily used to thinking about that because you're used to just doing your research or doing your activities to get the papers done or to get the presentations together or to get the research further along. So you don't always think about sometimes what do you actually like doing? So there's an exercise that I suggest to people called like loved it, loathed it. So think about the next let's say seven days of your life. And when you're doing anything, could be cooking dinner, it could be putting slides together, it could be, you know, uh, playing with cells or mice for some of the research and such. Think about, like, do you actually like it? Or does the thought of doing that thing, <laughs> even before you do it, stress you out? Because then you can start to think about, maybe there are certain paths where you can leverage things you really enjoy so hopefully you're happier with whatever career path you end up getting involved in. And so, so like for me, when I was really thinking about what I wanted to do, I mean, I love networking with people. I love learning about people's careers. I love trying to find connections and commonality. So the thought of doing recruiting and coaching is certainly a natural fit. But if you had asked me in 2008, if I would be a recruiter slash career coach, I didn't even know that was possible because it hadn't even occurred to me that that is something that would have been a fit. But if you're able to take kind of the, the aspects of what you love and then kind of map those to what's actually done in a certain career, sometimes things really align and it allows you to, to think about the function versus the title. And it might allow people to be a bit more open. Certainly for me, it allowed me to be a bit more open about what that next title looks like and what that next you know functional area looks like. Absolutely. Thank you for that. I think titles are, are, are a secondary uh, part of, of the work that you want to do and the job you want to have and thinking about what you like to do and hopefully do every day things that you're not only good at, but you enjoy doing is very important. That takes me to my next question. What are the career options that are out there for a PhD scientist or postdocs? Yeah. Okay. So first off, there are so many options right now is a very exciting time with respect to career possibilities. Even with COVID and everything else happening right now, there are numerous opportunities for people that have a like advanced scientific training. And so these could include you know, roles in industry like a cell biologist or a clinical biomarker scientist where you're using your technical skills to further research. But it could also be non-bench roles like medical affairs, medical science liaison, clinical research, business development. Um, there's also roles in consulting firms and venture capital organizations, scientific communications. I mean, these are just a small subset of roles that, that exist, but there's a lot of opportunity for people to grow both professionally and personally. And something to keep in mind, a lot of organizations now fortunately realize that having a PhD, of course, gives you technical knowledge and skills, disease knowledge, or whatever you're, you're studying, but it also gives you a lot of other transferable skills that you can apply. And so thankfully, people are aware that there's a lot of value that you offer organizations because of your training, dedication, and such. And your ability to, to learn basically anything whenever mm -hmm. you put your mind to it. Mm-hmm. 100%. 
Definitely. Um, so if you're a bench scientist today and you want to explore opportunities, what would be the next first step that you would recommend taking to try and at least map out some directionality in, in the future career? Yes. Okay. All right. So I think there's a few things. Um, first of which is that as a bench scientist, you do have a lot of transferable skills that are relevant and uh, very applicable to a range of careers, right? Maybe you've done a lot of collaboration work. Maybe you've worked on multiple projects simultaneously. Maybe you've been really good at uh, communicating information to different people. So, so I think one thing is, you know, think about some of your strengths and, and the strengths not just being, are you good at plating cells? Or are you good at developing ELISA assays? Like those are definitely strengths. But the other things that can be applicable to a wide variety of career areas are important. So kind of start to make a list of things that you that you feel strong with. Definitely the loved it, loathed it type of exercise where you can reflect on what do you like doing versus what are you good at. So hopefully those things align, but sometimes you're really good at like data analysis, but maybe you don't actually like doing it. Okay, maybe you can find a role then that lets you be the uh, communicator of the analysis that happened versus sitting behind the computer, you know, doing that all, uh, all day. Um, once you kind of have that list together of things you enjoy, things you feel good at, then you can start to map that to certain career areas and start talking to people about maybe their career path and how they have used some of those skills or experiences. And that might help you get a better feel for different options that are a good fit for what you're looking for. Fantastic. So um, you mentioned transferable skills and you mentioned informational interviews. Just to, um, not everyone is familiar with these terms. Can you explain to us or give us concrete examples of what are these transferable skills and mm -hmm. how would you go about setting up an informational interview with someone that has a career that you might be interested in, in going for? Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So, so transferable skills, I guess one an easy way to describe those would be to differentiate those from, let's say, hard skills. Hard skills being more techniques like like mammalian cell culture or like Eliza assay development or like a programming language, like maybe you're really good at R. And when I think of transferable skills, I think of things like communication because maybe you're good at communicating because let's say you teach uh, classes while you're a PhD, but that communication experience can certainly apply if you were to be a consultant and how to communicate findings to the clients or if you were in an industry setting doing research and you had to present to the team in terms of your you know, target validation types of work, those, those things can be transferred in terms of communication to other settings. And some of the big transferable skills that I see that PhDs have are in addition to communication, things like leadership, being very proactive, being very uh, able to not just lead people, but also lead initiatives and, and take uh, ownership of things, uh, being very organized, typically, because many of you are doing multiple things and being involved in multiple projects and other activities that you're involved in. Um, some of you are really good at like mentoring and training people. And again, that applies to a whole range of careers, not just bench-focused types of roles. Uh, but these are important uh, to be able to highlight because they can differentiate you from other folks that are out there. And I guess the last one I'd mention is the collaboration piece. 
working, you know, if you're a, a GPCR scientist, maybe you've had the opportunity to work with a chemist, uh, a bioinformatist, a structural biologist to be able to like elucidate some protein to be able to target for a therapeutic work. Like those those experiences are useful working with people of different backgrounds. So don't don't underestimate that. In terms of finding informational interviews, well, so there's two two things I want to say on that. And I could talk for like a long time on this because I'm pretty passionate about it. One of the best things if you're currently in graduate school or currently in a postdoc is that at some point, you know, those experiences have to end and you have to move on. You graduate if you're a PhD student or if you're a postdoc, at some point you have to not be a postdoc forever. And so therefore you're allowed to explore your future career options because you have to. And so none of you should be ever worried or afraid or feel, or feel awkward reaching out to people for informational interviews because you are supposed to think about your future and learn about different things. So that's one thing I want to stress. Uh, the goal of these is really to talk with people about their career path. How did they become a scientist at big pharma company versus small biotech? How did they break into medical science liaison roles or whatever else could make sense? Um, most people are pretty open. And so reaching out via your alumni networks, via your um, scientific communities, uh, via connections of people that you know, even cultural connections. If you're an Italian person, maybe you reach out to other people that are also from Italy that are scientists that can help you kind of navigate. And um, so that way it gives you kind of a foray into what future opportunities might look like. That's, that's, that's absolutely great advice. And you'd be surprised how helpful and nice people can be. A nice mm -hmm. little LinkedIn message making sure, you know, introducing yourself and saying, hey, I looked at your profile. I think you're doing fantastic work. I'd love to learn more. And most of the time, by experience, people will accept your connection request, will respond, and will take 5, 15 minutes. You can invite mm -hmm. that person for coffee. Not now, but mm -hmm. you could before COVID, and hopefully we'll be able to, uh, to grab a coffee, even if it's six feet apart, and have that connection with that person. And you'd be amazed how how nice people can be oh totally and you know sometimes you have these discussions and you realize wow that job sounds terrible that's okay too right then you can check it off your list and focus on the ones that seem more aligned so it's never it's never a bad thing to do it's always helpful in terms of insights i think so too i think so too and and being able to cross off things from your list is also as important as figuring out what is the role that you're interested in, in you know, getting into and learning about the little details, the everyday work that you have to do, for example, as a medical science liaison or, or as a consultant um, mm -hmm. in these settings is, is super important. So informational interviews and don't underestimate uh, soft skills or transferable mm -hmm. skills. And I think a lot of times as PhDs, we tend to underestimate these. We go and present our work in front of various audiences and we simplify because the audience is, is from a chemistry background or from a biochemistry background. And this is what employers are looking for. And this is very important to, to all of us. Um, 
So my next question was, where, what is the, your advice that you have for scientists to find their dream job? But I think we, we kind of covered it. Is there anything else that you might want to add for our audience in regards to yeah, finding your dream job? Definitely. So I have a few thoughts um, uh, here. So, so the first thing is, uh, I know we talked about this. There's lots of jobs that could be amazing and could be a fit. So I guess the first thing I want to say is, don't get paralyzed by feeling like you have to find the one dream job for you. Cause it's possible that there could be 10 dream jobs that are all relevant and all could be amazing in terms of your uh, background. So the key is to, to kind of try things and, and explore, but from a practical perspective, I would certainly start like researching, let's say job boards to be able to see, well, what, what's posted? What are the job titles like? What are they asking for? If you start to think about using your list of things that you seem to like, let's say it's engaging with clinicians and, uh, you know, translational research, maybe you can type those things into a job board, maybe certain career um, areas come up that have those words in the job description. So that way it might give you a sense of which titles, which roles could be interesting for you. You can then use some of that information to look at LinkedIn profiles of people to see well, what do they do? What are their career paths? What skills have they gained to be able to be in the roles they're in? So that just might help you to get a little bit of insight about if you are a current PhD or postdoc, how do you maximize your time to get into those roles? And if you're post, you know, your PhD or postdoc and working in industry, you can still be thinking about what future opportunities could, could exist. But Yamina, you brought up a really good point um, just briefly before this question. I feel like sometimes PhD people assume that like everyone knows what they do and everyone does the same things. So they sometimes do undersell themselves because they're like, but everyone's collaborative. And I can tell you in speaking with thousands of PhDs, not everyone is collaborative. <laughs> not everyone likes to do novel areas of research. Not everyone is amazing at communicating both to technical audiences and non-technical audiences. So don't undersell your experiences because these things are important and that's what helped differentiates you over, let's say other job candidates when you're looking for opportunities. You're, you're absolutely right. I think we tend to, as you say, tone down our accomplishments and tone down all the skills that we accumulate over the years spent, you know, in, in training as a PhD or as, as a postdoc. And when I was learning how to, highlight these skills I was surprised at how at the length of the list that I came up with on oh I actually can do this and mm -hmm. um and sometimes it's interesting because scientists uh, tend to be very concrete and if, if it's a yes or no um mm -hmm. can you do it or you can't or you can't but sometimes in industry job descriptions for example you have big words that mean, for example, communication. Communication can be talking to, to another scientist or talking or giving a talk in front of a 350 people audience. And that mm -hmm. is very important. That's a communication skill. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agreed. Ag agreed on that one. Um, how, we're, since we're in this COVID 
uh, time, how do you see the job market being affected by what's going on in the world? Yeah, okay, so uh, this is also a pretty important question. Okay, so a few things. From a practical perspective, like the numbers of jobs that ha have been posted in March and April were down about 50% compared to the prior year. And so things are starting to rebound now and we're starting to see more postings and more opportunities now that a number of states are starting to slowly get back into the new normal in terms of things. Uh, so that's a one thing to keep in mind if you're looking for a job. Um, the second thing is, not all roles are posted for different reasons. And so if you are looking for a role, I would definitely be even more proactive around engaging your network, around reaching out for informational interviews. Don't just you know sit on the job boards and hit apply, hoping someone's gonna call you back because there's a lot of activity, a lot of planning going on. So if you're proactive, you might be able to get into the hiring side there. But from a, I guess from a, another perspective to think about this, with COVID, I think a lot of people have done a lot of introspection in the last few months, really trying to think about, like, how do they want to spend their time? Who do they want to, want to spend their time with? Uh, life is frail, right? Um, so if we're not making a difference, if we're not impacting something, why are we doing it? And so I, I have a feeling that, like, post-COVID or even kind of like now, you know, in COVID, we're gonna see a lot of people really thinking about career changes, or I should say more, let's say alignment in terms of making sure that your career choice and place you work aligns with who you are. So that way you try to maximize your ability to make a difference. I think that's gonna become even more important as people think about what's next. That's, that's, that's a great perspective, and get, which gets me to the next, um, my next question, which is about company culture. Mm -hmm. um, so whenever you're looking for a job, everyone tells you, well, you should assess company culture. What is company culture and what's the best way to find out about a company's culture and see if it's a good fit for you as a person? Yeah. And everyone uses like, you know, the company culture and everyone says they have a great culture. But when you really dive in, some organizations really differentiate themselves and really stand out. Well, so, okay, if I think about it, broadly speaking, company culture would be more around like what are the values of the organization what's the mission of the, of the organization and how is that defined by the people by the activities by the engagements that the organization does and, and so to put it into perspective you know some organizations will say they're collaborative okay but then how do you define collaborative uh, for example there are certain biotech companies that will purposely sit people together that are not from the same group. So it allows people to interact. The cell biologist, the molecular biologist, the biochemist, the pharmacologist, the program manager, instead of each sitting with their own people, you know, people are spread out. So it allows people to engage. It allows people to be more um, involved with, with people outside of their, their current group. And there are other organizations that you know, purposely, I guess pre-COVID it was easier where they do, you know, charity events to get people outside of the office spending time together. Uh, they would do things to be able to help engage scientists with like speaking about their work to multiple types of audiences within the organization to showcase that they're being collaborative, they're being inclusive, they're really trying to engage, engage with people. 
there's a few ways to try to assess culture. So one is certainly if there's a website for the organization, you know, look to see if they have a page dedicated to culture, mission, values, because oftentimes if companies care about this, they will devote time to highlighting what they're doing. They may have videos on from people in the organization talking about what it's like to be at company X and so forth. Uh, you can, of course, look at, you know, Glassdoor and sites like that. And sometimes you'll see, let's say, maybe negative things about certain organizations. It doesn't mean it's totally a red flag, but it gives you things to think about if you end up interviewing uh, for certain places. The best way is to talk to someone in the organization and ask them, you know, how does your company embrace inclusiveness? How does your company uh, foster collaboration? What does your company do you know, for fun, you know, simple questions can give you a lot of insight about what that environment might be like and, and if it's going to align with what you're looking for in terms of engaging with people and, you know, being in that type of environment. And also um, one way of kind of assessing company culture and is to ask questions to see if the person or the people who work at the company feel safe at work. Mm -hmm. It's very important. Um, you know, life is life. You can have a sick relative. Uh, what happens? How how compelled do you feel to to tell your manager, look, my kid is sick this morning. I'm taking the child mm -hmm. to the doctor. Or you come up with some excuse that's not necessarily the reality. And I think that's also mm -hmm. one way to, to assess cultural um, culture in a company. Yeah, totally. Well, and also, like, like you can look at things like maybe the list of top companies for working moms, because then they're probably more child friendly or they're also more friendly to, let's say, the triathlete that needs a bunch of time to train outside of working hours or like top companies for diversity. I mean, certainly you're never going to have, like there might, be, there, there might be a few small companies that haven't made those lists yet because they're not large enough, but you know, it's nice now in the age of all this web information, we can utilize some things that people have put together to be able to help them guide targeting certain places that might be good fits. Thank you, Lauren. That's, that's a fantastic uh, overview of how to look at uh, company culture and assess this. Where can people find you? Yeah. Okay. So we, we do have a website. So it's uh, propelcareers.com. And I've been trying to write a few more blogs and details and so if any of you have uh thoughts that that you would like insights on i mean feel free to email me my email it's pretty simple it's just lauren l-a-u-r-e-n at propelcareers.com feel free to reach out uh, i do speak a lot at different universities and conferences now i mean it's all virtual but at some point hopefully we'll be back in touch in person and so you know if you're actively in a university maybe you'll see me at some point if i happen to be you know, they're giving talks about different topics. Awesome. Yes, we, we met. It's so funny how, how, how life is, is, uh, is interesting. You and I met several years ago and you were giving a talk at the New York Academy of Sciences on how to uh, write a resume for industry positions, which we didn't really have time to cover today, but I invite everybody to take a look at your website uh, to get an insight on that. Um, any last minute tips, advice for, for scientists who want to look outside of academia for, for a career? Yeah, so you mean you brought up an excellent thing. I know we can't talk a lot about it, and it's hard on a podcast too because resumes are very visual, but 
seek out people that are in career areas of interest and try to get some feedback on your resume to make sure it looks relevant for the MSL job or the venture capital job or the field application specialist job or the clinical translational scientist job because there's there's nuances different industries different sectors like certain things uh, for you to highlight and tailor and so you want to make sure that you're being very thoughtful very targeted in terms of your content um, with that said, I guess to make it easier, perhaps, all of you should have a master resume. It could be seven pages long. It's okay, because you have a lot of things you've done. Then when you you know, take the job description and tailor the information and make a nice two-pager, you can then make that nice two-pager without having you know, 55 individual versions on your computer trying to figure out which one's most updated. I've talked to enough people to know how stressful some of those things can, uh, can be, but you know, talk to people, be open to learning about uh, roles. You know, one thing that uh, we kind of alluded to in the podcast is that, you know, even titles are sometimes made up. Like it's hard to know what that job is called because sometimes organizations want to be really creative. And instead of calling their medical science liaison job, medical science liaison, they call it, you know, clinical information specialist or something that you wouldn't necessarily know to look for. So just keep an open mind. It's uh it's there's a lot of possibilities and so yeah, and it's exciting where those things end and employers sometimes as you had mentioned they get very creative on the job titles and uh, mm -hmm. i think people should focus on the tasks and the mm -hmm. description of that job and not necessarily the title because yeah. you could you know you could end up at a company and be called the vp of something but you'd be doing uh, an msl job yep totally we, so um yeah definitely Thank you so much, Lauren, for your time and for the amazing, amazing insights that you you brought us today. Uh, and we're very happy to uh, to have you here today. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited. Like, it's so nice to reconnect. It's been awesome having you in Boston. So thanks for the opportunity and keep me posted if I can do anything in the future to be useful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can finally get that coffee or that drink, even if it's going to be six feet apart. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that would be awesome. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon, Lauren. Sounds Thank good. You. Bye. Thank you for listening to this special Dr. GPCR podcast episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We look forward to having you attend the Dr. GPCR Summit. If you'd like to sponsor us, please visit drgpcr.com slash sponsor. We also have a monthly newsletter and we invite you to sign up at drgpcr.com slash newsletter. Thank you to Lauren Solano, Attila Forrest, music by Rosa Bershish. We also want to take a moment to, set, to thank our very talented and dedicated science communicators, Shivani Sajdev and Jin Chong. I'm your host, Dr. Yamina Bershish. Thank you for the privilege of your time. And until next time, stay safe.